Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, there's one thing that you can't say about me. I am not an ageist. You know, over the course of my career, I have aged in front of my audience. You can't you know, start out in your 30s and then, you know, 33 years later still claim to be in your 30s, right? That's just not going to fly. The audience is smarter than that. So I've always been honest about aging. And I've always said, look, I have absolutely no intention of, you know, dying with a microphone in my hand. It's just not my plan. I'm really concerned about the aging in Washington, D.C. It's getting stupid now. I mean, Mitch McConnell, I'm quite sure, had a TIA, which is a transient ischematic uh, uh, attack, which is a, a mini stroke. If you look at the video, it's quite obvious that he is in serious trouble standing at the podium, literally holding on to the podium as he begins to sway back and forth with this really blank look on his face. He has to be accompanied away from the podium. In steps John Barrasso. In case you don't know, John Barrasso's an MD. And, and Thune takes over the microphone. Of course, immediately, everybody starts evaluating, well, what have we seen happening in the last couple of weeks with Mitch McConnell. Well, how about the fact that he was getting off a plane just a couple of days ago and he face-planted? This is becoming altogether too frequent with some of our aging politicians. He tripped and fell getting off a plane at Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport. He was not seriously hurt. He showed up at the Capitol later that day he did speak to a reporter, even though it was not about the fall. The fall, by the way, was not reported. It happened on July 14th. It's July 27th. He's the minority leader of the Senate. And he had a face plant, and nobody knew it. So if a tree falls in the airport, but you weren't there to see it, you'll never find out. Then you have the President of the United States, who is virtually incoherent at least 50% of the time, have to shorten staircases for him because he's incapable of climbing up the stairs even to Air Force One. Uh, Mitch McConnell's been using a wheelchair when he goes around the airports. Look, I know what aging is, and I can tell you, the human body, especially the human body that's worked since it was young, like uh, I have, or Mitch McConnell has, or uh, Diane Feinstein has. Yesterday, she became 
pretty incoherent. She she starts to launch into a lengthy speech during the time when the senators are just supposed to vote. She looks confused and she's about to deliver a speech, which is just the latest in a string of episodes about her, where people are saying, whoa, you know, I don't know. So finally, the Senate Appropriations Chairwoman, Patty Murray, is pleading with Dianne Feinstein yesterday saying, just say A, just say A, you know, vote. And instead, she begins by saying, I would like to support a yes vote on this. It provides $823 billion and on and on and on and on and on. Not, none of it making sense. She's another one now currently navigating in a wheelchair. The average person in America is not in their 80s and 90s. However, it's starting to look like the average person in Washington, D.C. is. I know that's an overstatement, but let's be real. This is uh, not a good look, and it's definitely not a very smart protocol for us to be exhibiting to the world, that we have nothing but old people that can step into these positions of power. Now, you know I'm a big Trump supporter, but even Donald Trump is an older guy. He just happens to be very vigorous. If I could see that kind of vigor in Joe Biden, I'd be less concerned, right? If I could see that kind of vigor in Mitch McConnell or, or Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi or any of them. But they're all, with the exception of Donald Trump, a mess. You know, I was with a lot of people this weekend who are my age or older. And we just sit around now. And I remember when it was my mother doing it, we sit around talking about our doctor's appointments, <laughs> talking about the limitations that we have to place on ourselves. Yeah, I'm walking. No, I can't run. No, don't go to the gym. Don't swim. You know, trying to keep a, a, a noodle in the pool so that I don't have to try and swim. I can just hang on to the noodle and maybe kick my feet a little. Not me, but this is what some relatives were saying. It's just reality. And I look at this. And I think we have a Senate, which is right now divided. If it weren't for the fact that the vice president gets to cast a deciding vote, we got a split country, a split Senate. And I can start listing all the ancient senators that really should go home. Senator Feinstein, right? Senator uh, McConnell, Mitch McConnell now, after yesterday, he's got to go. Can't have a minority leader who can't construct a sentence without having a stroke. Because if he keeps having these TIAs, I know this because my father had a series of TIAs, it generally ends with a big stroke. And then Joe Biden. What can I tell you? It's not, it's not a good look. I was thinking about the Senate races because now I'm worried. I got all these aging senators on both sides of the aisle. So you don't get a lot of talk about Senate races, especially until you're close to the actual election, but they have started raising money. And there's a whole bunch of people that have declared they're gonna run. Some of them are just making noise that they might run, but this is going to shape the race for control of the Senate, of the Senate chamber in 2024, 
And that is the ultimate power dynamic for whoever is president in 2025. They're launching these campaigns. There are a lot of competitive primaries that, that are starting to shape up, especially on the Republican side. The top three seats most likely to flip, which represent the Republican Party's best chances to pick up the one or two seats they'd need to control the chamber, depending on who wins the presidency. And this is based on CNN reporting and fundraising figures and all the historical data that I could put my hands on about how the states and the candidates have performed are West Virginia, where the Republican primary is now mainly between the current governor and a congressman, but it's looking even more contentious when you got outside groups like the Club for Growth touting the millions they're planning to spend in that race. So it's going to be a big battle. And it's a, a battle between the Republican establishment and the conservative outsiders. And then there are races like Montana and races in Nevada that are going to test whether or not the National Republican Senatorial Committee's new strategy of picking sides in primaries, they never did this before. I happen to believe it's a good idea to pick sides in primaries and stop wasting so much money and time. You know, I think you can do some pretty clear evaluating of who actually has a chance of winning an election. But you, thought, you, you, don't, you don't escape factoring in the former president. You cannot talk about any Republican primary or any you know, senatorial race that doesn't have allegiance to Donald Trump as a pretty much a, as a litmus test for a primary candidate. It doesn't even matter if they're actual conservatives. But I'm telling you, there's going to be some serious shakeups coming. And we saw it with the 2022 midterms. We were all so confident. Oh, it's going to be great. Wasn't great. I don't know what's going to happen in 2024, but I'm getting really concerned. The chairman this year is not, uh, it was Rick Scott in the last election. And of course, with the results that they had, you knew he wasn't going to be the chairman this time. So it's the uh, senator from Montana, Steve Daines. He's endorsed Donald Trump already. And the former president looks like he's playing along with the NRSC, which is the National Republican Senatorial Committee, right? CNN said that he told two House Freedom Caucus members, guys that he previously backed in West Virginia and in Montana, that they will not have his support for the Senate. In Montana, we're talking about Matt Rosendale, the, the representative, who hasn't officially announced his campaign, but he's expected to challenge the preferred candidate. And it's not all about primary drama. In Pennsylvania, Republicans have to feel pretty good about, you know, uh, the fact that, uh, that, that they, well, certainly the establishment Republicans feel really good that they got rid of Doug Mastriano because he lost the gubernatorial race by like 15 points and then he said, I'm not running. But Dave McCormick is going to get into that race, and he's got a pretty clear lane. But that bumps the Keystone State up one spot on a list of uh, Senate seats that more than likely will flip. It's a, you know, they got to win seats. The Republicans have got to win seats in the Senate. 
Democrats hold seven of the 10 seats most likely to flip next year. An independent holds one and Republicans hold two. And I don't think that breakdown is going to change. You got West Virginia with the incumbent Joe Manchin, who people are thinking may run in a third party race. He's got a primary can't, you know, a challenge. Jim Justice, who happens to be a Democrat turned Republican. He's up against Alex Mooney, who's part of the House Freedom Caucus. This is going to be an intense, intense primary season and senatorial election season. John Tester is the incumbent in Montana. He's a Democrat. Could flip that. Ohio's got Sherrod Brown. That piece of garbage. Just saying. Could flip that. Kristen Cinema. she's an independent. Arizona's got, got some, uh, some red popping up all over the place. She's already got a challenger on the left. She's got the Democrat, uh, Ruben Gallego, has raised, I don't know, a ton of money. Twice as much as cinema's raised. You see, you don't have to look at all these numbers like I do. I have to look at these numbers. Like everybody's telling me, oh, Mark Lamb, Sheriff Mark Lamb, he's going to be great. Oh, we got to support him. This guy can't raise money. He he didn't, you know, couldn't put together a million dollars during the quarter. Now, I know that sounds like a lot of money to you and me, but you need multi-million dollars. What did a, a representative mass say on the air yesterday? You better be independently wealthy to run for the Senate because you need millions of dollars. So if... If Pinal County Sheriff Mark Lamb could only raise half a million during the quarter, people are waiting to see if Carrie Lake jumps into the Senate race. But she's, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Nevada, you got the incumbent as Jackie Rosen, a Democrat. Not a strong position for her. You've got uh, Tammy Baldwin, the incumbent in uh, Wisconsin, not in a good position. You got Bob Casey, the Democrat in Pennsylvania, very, very weak. And now that Doug Mastriano's out of there, that seat is so winnable. Michigan, you got, you got the Debbie Stabenow, she retiring. So that's an open seat. And uh, of course, the other two races, one is Ted Cruz's race in Texas. They got a lot of people coming up against Ted Cruz on the Democrat side. They really do. Raising a lot of money. Got Colin Albright, who's in the House, and you've got, um, uh, and he was an NFL player, so he's got a lot of, you know, money. Um, and you got Roland Guterres. So uh, the only chance for the Democrats to knock off a Republican is actually here. And I know this is not good news to you, but Rick Scott is the kind of candidate that always wins very small margins. And right now, the Democrat could harness the dynamics of a presidential race and flip that seat. Just, just saying, it's my job to let you know these things and to keep you from having to crunch all these numbers because my head is killing me after looking at all these numbers. Anyway, uh, don't forget to download our app, the 850 WFTL app. That way you can listen to all the podcasts. You can listen to the show on your phone. You can uh, join the contest, do all this cool stuff 
or visit our website, 850WFTL.com. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Man, you can't make it up. Sometimes I just get rolling and I can't watch the clock as carefully as I should. So you'll forgive me. I'm going to have an abbreviated uh, segment now because I had such a long segment prior to that. One of the most important things, though, that I can tell you about this upcoming election is we really have to mobilize and we have to be sure that we stop writing off races and stop convincing ourselves that certain races, we have no possibility of winning. You know, in the next segment of the show, I'm gonna have on a guest who is a mayor in Broward County in a solidly blue county. I mean, there are little pockets of us that are conservatives in this county, but by no stretch of the imagination, it's not a purple county. Uh, It probably won't be a red county in my lifetime, and yet, the city of Weston has a conservative mayor who's a Trump supporter because you cannot give up ground. You've got to fight for every seat. And I believe that we have some interesting races that are shaping up right now where if the grassroots gets out and starts to fight, no, you're not going to win you know, Broward County in its entirety, but there are pockets where you are going to see demographic shifts that definitely work in the favor of the conservative movement. You have people moving here from states which are deep blue, and some of them are fleeing those states because they're sick and tired of what the liberal Democrats have done to their hometowns and to their states. So when they come down here, even if they don't become Republicans, which I still don't, I look at the statistics and I know everybody's saying, oh, we got this amazing number of people registering as Republicans. If they register as independents, we can win their hearts and minds if we just set out to do that. I look at these Senate seats, I told you just now, 10 Senate seats that are in very good positions to be flipped not happy that Florida's one of them, but I look at the other ones and I think to myself, stop giving up. If the National Republican Party would just stop giving up, I believe there's a lot of races that they could win. And by the way, for people who say to me, well, you know, Donald Trump, how's he gonna win? Oh, blah, 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 all these indictments. We're now on indictment watch number three or whatever. It's very interesting. They failed to recognize what was happening in 2015, 2016, and they failed to recognize what's happening now. Tide turns, sometimes quite suddenly. And I think that you have to be mindful that if you, if you speak defeat into all these races, those eight that I, I believe can be flipped, then you will have defeat. But if you go into them 
claiming the victory and willing to work as hard as you need to to get the victory, I think these are winnable races. I really do. Especially three of them. And that would be enough. You know, hold on to the two seats, Cruz and, and Scott, and win three seats, then you have the Senate back in the hands of the Republicans. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with Mitch McConnell, but if he keeps, you know, stroking out, then Kentucky is going to be a contentious race. That's just, you know, a given. But so, uh, so still got to win three. Got to win three. All right, let me take a break. When I come back, we'll be talking with a, a very interesting, can well, not a candidate. She's the mayor of Weston, Peggy Brown. She is a conservative and... Weston is not known for its conservative politics. We're going to find out how she did it and what she thinks going forward. We'll be right back. All right, and uh, welcome back. You know, it's really fascinating, but I was at an event recently, and I was introduced to the mayor of Weston. So now, if you're going to introduce me to the mayor of a affluent suburb, the westernmost city in Broward County, my expectation is that the mayor is going to be a Democrat. So imagine my delight and surprise when I find out not only was Peggy Brown a former city commissioner, but she was a Trump supporter and she got elected. So I've invited her on the program today to tell us how she did it because Peggy, I am convinced that we can win a lot of races. We have to stop giving up. What do you think? Well, Joyce, hi. Uh, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be on the show. I've listened to you for many years on my ride back and forth to work. So I don't know if I have all the answers. I think when I first came into this in 2016, I always say to people, I wish I was as naive then, uh, running my first go-round as um, I wasn't in 2020, which was a, a challenging race. Um, I will say this. One of the things that I did um, that's a little different is just, stuck to my principles and values, and I didn't go out on a limb and denigrate my opponents. As a matter of fact, I was very thoughtful towards them. I even asked people, like, if people approach me, like, please speak to our opponents and find out, like, if there's something that you agree with them more than you agree with my position. Mm -hmm. I will tell you something I heard um, when Senator Rubio was running in one of the races, and I know that sometimes people weren't favorable towards him in Miami-Dade, especially coming up on his race with Val Demings this last go-around, mm-hmm. um, I heard on your radio, it said, like, would you rather have somebody you agree with 80% of the time than somebody that would disagree with you 100% of the time in your voting record? So I always remind people that you may not have the perfect candidate, but you have to find the individual that's best aligned with your values and where they are within moving the goal similar to you. So mm-hmm. that was one of the things I did. Um, in 2020, it was a little different because um, because of COVID. There was a lot of different variables at play. Um, and we had President Trump was re-running. Uh, re, re and we had you know, COVID at play there, so there was a lot of variables. How you campaign was distinctly different. Um, mm-hmm. It was a complete game in terms of how you would get out there and um, basically run for office. So a lot of it done was done through like communications that way. Mm-hmm. 
So it was very different. It was taxing. I continued to support um, former President Donald Trump. I also did um, campaign and support my fellow candidates. I ran with two other conservatives at the time, Mm -hmm. Uh, all three of us, which are all veterans and have served our country honorably. And we thought that we didn't like the direction the way things were going. But we stuck together. We kept it clean and um, positive. And I think... Similar to what Governor DeSantis has said, we've got to change the whole tempo on that Republicans, um, you know, that we are going to lose. It's evident here in the state of Florida. We've had such a success, and we've seen over the course of years how, you know, Broward County, um, Hillary won this county by 35 points. Then we fast forward to, um, you know, the 2020 election. And Biden won it by 30. But if you look what happened between Charlie Crist and Governor DeSantis, it was like a 13-point difference. Right. We're also mm-hmm. seeing a decrease in that, in the number of, like, the disparity between the voters. But we're also seeing an increase since the 2020 census of people, like, you know, moving into Broward County. Mm-hmm. And you've seen this shift with the 2020 census and the redistribution of the voting districts. So there's been a lot of changes. Yes, and I, I have to laugh when I think of the fact that you are mayor of the city where Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz resides. I just It makes me giggle. <laughs> She's one of my constituents. I will tell you, we don't agree politically um, on a lot of things, but one of the things I've always continuously done, and the press has always tried to get me to do it, is to, I will talk about somebody's political opinions, but I never go after them because I don't think that that's a positive way um, to, you know, to carry out politics. Yeah. So no, for me it's, personally, I don't know what other people do, but not for me. Right. And I think that, you know, that's fair. I think it would be nice if politics were a little more civil, but they came after you with a vengeance when you ran. And, and I'm, I'm happy that you maintained your dignity, but I'll tell you, this is a, a very volatile environment the fact that you had to come out and say that you support the police, I never thought I'd live in this country and, and a candidate would have to say that. Doesn't everybody support the police? Well, that was a very difficult time. It was, uh, quite frankly, it was before the 2020 election. And um, I couldn't have thought of a better marketing strategy, but the Black Lives Matter group came out with a report card on my performance. And it was myself, State Representative uh, Rick Stark, former representative, and a former commissioner, Jim Norton. So Mr. Stark got across the board all A's. Mr. Norton got C's. And I failed everything on leadership, experience, and knowledge, you know, whatever. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. So I published it because I thought, hey, people can vote however they want. And it's like I thought to myself, this feels so interesting to me that they wanted me to denounce our local law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And it's like knowing your population, the very thing that in almost all municipalities, the most important thing we do is our public safety. So that's our law enforcement, our fire department, our EMS teams. And there's no way I'm ever going to go against them because mm-hmm. they're the very people that allow us the security to get up in the morning and go to work and come home safely to our homes. Right. So I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. So they called for my resignation. They they tried to denigrate me all sorts of ways. But as you can tell, it didn't obviously bother my getting elected as the mayor of the city. Yeah. 
And, you know, now that you are in that office, um, do you find that people are more open to hearing what you have to say? Because I think that most of the people in that run up to the election who were listening to the Black Lives Matter uh, rhetoric and the uh, League of Cities and all the rest of that stuff, they just didn't know you. And once they started to find out who you were, you run a nonprofit for people affected by hearing loss, I think it changed their minds. Well, it's not just me. There's been a lot of people in our community, and I'm seeing that changing all over Broward County. And it's kind of one of these things that, and I will tell you, I often think that that's one of the very unique characteristics that um, President Trump um, showed us, is don't be afraid to stand up to who you are and your values. Not everybody has to agree with you, but just because uh, you don't agree with them doesn't make you wrong and then right. So it's kind of like, you know, if you don't stand, if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. No. And I was just recently with Senator Scott, and he was talking about one of the things that the Democratic Party does very well is they stand together. So yep. one of the things is after we get to the primary, the one thing I want to say to everybody out there is stick with your candidate, stick with the candidates that win the primary and support them all. It's mm. no time to like, well, my candidate didn't win, and, you know, I support this person, so I'm not going to vote for them. We've got to stick together. We've got to vote in. And I guess this is a shout-out, too. It's not just about Republicans. It's moderate conservative Democrats. Mm-hmm. It's moderate conservative in, independents, which is the second largest group of voters here in Broward County. You've got to stick together and vote your values. Mm-hmm. Vote the direction you want the county to go, you want the state to go, and your municipalities. As as um, a municipality in my role, in a municipality, I'm an NPA, with all nonpartisan races, so right. our school board. But I think people really need to investigate and look at what the candidates are about and where mm-hmm. they stand, what mm-hmm. kind of organizations they belong to, who do they support. And I think those are all critical things. They've got to do their homework on their local municipalities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when when they came at you with the gotcha questions, one of the things that I liked was that you said, uh, you know, you, you told your truth and you said, uh, I, you know, I I don't have to agree with uh, baseless theories or c- conspiracy theories um, to call myself a conservative. And anybody out there who's going to brand me and say that because I'm a Republican or because I'm a conservative, I must think that you know we're fighting pedophiles in D.C. And uh, you were the first person who didn't just blow off the question in a long time. No, I haven't. And I took a I took a hit in this last um, midterm election. Even though I wasn't on the ballot, I have taken a number of hits from local Democrats who have said I was, was divisive, and it even came out in an article in the Sun Sentinel. And because I was at an event for Senator Rubio, which was an ecumenical, like a religious gathering and talking about his values and principles, and I told them a picture of me and Senator Rubio walking together, and I said, you know, Senator, I supported you all along, but now I'll fight for you, because his convictions and his commitment about stuff, I thought, this is someone I didn't really know and only heard talking points. Mm-hmm. Well, because I said that, because I said that, I was considered. Um, it was reported that people in Weston were offended. Mm-hmm. It's like people shouldn't be offended by who you want to vote for. 
I know when I was confronted by people because I was wearing a Governor DeSantis shirt out at the polls because I was actually, you know, out there supporting the governor and um, Senator Rubio, people would come and say, I'm not voting for that. And they use some, like, you know, demanding word, profanity mm. usually. And I would always look at them and say, isn't that the wonderful thing about voting here in the United States? You can go in there and vote for whomever you want to. But That's I think right. they were always looking for me to be nasty or things like that. But mm-hmm. why? I'm not going to change their vote. There's no reason in arguing with them. So. That's right. Well, listen, uh, Peggy, you're refreshing. I, I hate to say you're a breath of fresh air because that's like, a, you know, it's such a tri- t- terrible saying. When people apply that to me, I get insulted. So I don't want to say that, but I am glad that we ha- can hold up your win in a place like Weston to the people who are thinking about running for office and are fearful that because it's a blue county and because, you know, there's so many uh, so much money being pumped into the Democrat Party uh, in Broward that there's no chance that they can win seats. I, I believe we got to fight for every single seat from the mayors to the commissioners to the con- congression, you know, the state house and the state senate, and then right up to Washington, D.C. So you're an inspiration. I just want to thank you for, and by the way, weren't you the first woman mayor? Although you're probably what the third or fourth mayor of Weston. Yes, I was. But you know what I tell what I tell when I go out to the schools and talk to everybody because I don't rest on my morals and by my my identity as such. Mm-hmm. I always tell people I might be the first female mayor, but mm-hmm. I'm also the best skilled person to be in the job. Yeah. And I look at boys and girls and I say to them, "Don't let that identify who I am. I'm a veteran. I have worked in corporate business and academia." And the bottom line is I have good sound reasoning and I'm the best candidate for it. Yeah. And Amen. It was, so again, he's identifying as such, but yes, I am the first female mayor. <laughs> yeah. And listen, so, but like we're not I that said, old city. Hey man, listen, you're not. I think, what are you, the third or fourth mayor of Weston? I mean, it hasn't been around that long, uh, well, has it? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the fourth mayor. Okay, I see. My memory is is still somewhat good. Peggy Adams, thank thank you so much just for coming on today and uh, and pumping up what I think is a lackluster Broward County for those of you listening in Broward. This is what these are the candidates that we need to be running in every single district. Thanks so much for coming on today. Well, Joyce, thank you. You have a good day. Take care. You too. Take care. All right. Well, don't forget, coming up after me today is uh, Eric Erickson at 4 o'clock. And I still have one segment left. So you need to stay right where you are because I got some, (laughs) I got to talk about this COVID thing. I know. I know. I've been good. I haven't been, you know, hammering it as much as I was doing a couple of weeks ago, but I'm looking at all of these young people, and they are suffering. And I said to my son last night, I texted my son, and I said, you know, when you look at these blood clots, and you look at these myocarditis, and and young, healthy athletes uh, having heart attacks like Bronnie James, I I feel bad that I didn't hold the line against giving vaccines to young, healthy people. They weren't going to die from COVID. The only people that were at high risk, and this remains true, were the infirm and the elderly. And if you're going to do an experiment like this, fast track a vaccine, which the last president, Donald Trump, did, don't do the experiment on our young people. 
We need our young people. Do it on old people like me. I mean, you know, what's the worst case scenario? <laughs> In many cases, it's the best case scenario, right? And let me take a break and I'm going to come back and finish this program. So stay right where you are. Well, one thing I always say is, you know, if you're not a medical professional and you haven't actually seen the patient, you really shouldn't be weighing in on it. But we have all these doctors on television that immediately had to give their opinion about Mitch McConnell. And I just want you to know their opinion is no more valid than my opinion. And I'm not a medical professional. But, you know, when I looked at that video of Mitch McConnell just frozen and speechless for, it felt like a minute, but it, I, I keep reading reports that it was like half a minute, 30 seconds or something. But that look on his face was really just scary. And I was reminded that at the very beginning of my broadcasting here in South Florida, I used to work very early in the morning, like and originally I worked at 3 a.m. and then I moved into morning drive at 6 a.m. So I would listen to the radio station at other times, just like normal people, because I was trying to get acclimated to Florida and what are we talking about here and all the rest of it. And one night I was driving somewhere and I, I can't remember where I was going. And the gentleman that used to do the show in the evenings was a guy by the name of Craig Worthing. And, you know, I haven't seen Craig in years. I hear he's still, you know, maybe not kicking, but he's still around. And he did a really old-fashioned radio show, and I, I really had a lot of affection for him. And I'm driving home, and I'm listening to his show, and all of a sudden, he starts just babbling. And I knew he was babbling because what he was doing was a commercial, a, a spot, an advertisement that he and I both represented this particular company. So the copy was very familiar to me. And all of a sudden, he is speaking in incomplete sentences, and some of the words were really garbled, like, and, you know, so my first assumption is maybe there's something wrong with the signal, there's something wrong with the especially at night, the signal was not always that strong. At that time, it was just a, uh, uh, a small station. It wasn't 850, it was 1400, it was 100, well, I don't know, very small signal. And I'm listening to this, and I got really concerned. So I was in Fort Lauderdale, and I, I fled over to the radio station, and I called one of the owners of the station, who also happened to be a, a radio host at the time, and I said, are you listening? to uh, you know, Craig Worthing, because something's wrong. And he wa had been listening, and he said, I've already called you know, the whatever, EMTs. And, but I was halfway there anyway, closer than that. And I, I went on over, and he had had a TIA, a trans, I can't pronounce it, but it's a, it's a mini stroke. And he had it while he was on the air, and then He's, you know, they, he sat down, his producer, he had a producer, Alan Knight, as a matter of fact, was his producer. He sat down and, you know, all of a sudden it was me and another host had come back who had left the station and then came roaring back when he heard the garbled speech and, and the paramedics all showed up. And in fact, he had had this mini stroke, this TIA. And when I looked at this videotape of Mitch McConnell yesterday, 
that was the look. That's the look that, that uh, Craig had on his face, that just vacant sort of blank stare. It's a neurological event, and you can see it in, in a person's face. So, uh, listen, we got too many senior citizens. I love, I love me some, I am a senior citizen. I love senior citizens, but not in these positions of power. It's very, very scary right now. Anyway, that does it for me today. I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back here tomorrow to wrap up this week at 3 p.m. if it be his will and he delays his coming. I have to admit I'm enjoying this 3 p.m. spot. I hope you guys are as well. I know a lot of you are listening on the podcast. So whatever time it is, may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. That's my prayer. That's my hope. That's my faith kicking in at a troubled time like this. So when we come back tomorrow, we'll have a chance to talk with Derek at TMZ. Love you all. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.